Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the February Room, where we talk shop, tie flies, and share the fishing stories you never heard. I'm Lauren Carnot, your host, and this is the February Room. Presented by CD Fishing USA. Innovative construction equals exceptional performance. Visit cd-fishing.us and follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Welcome to the February Room. Today I have the fabulous guest, Michelle Wu Bowman. Uh, Michelle is a marine biologist, surfer, angler, mother, and also a fellow podcaster. Yes. Thanks for joining us, Michelle. Thanks for having me. It's so exciting to be here. That was by far probably the, like, the longest title I've given to introducing <laughs> someone on the show. You are a very busy woman. I, I have a lot of balls in the air that I'm juggling for sure. For sure. I mean, between, uh, yeah, work and family and, you know, Actually, I probably have more going on in my extracurricular life, I think, um, especially right now, than I do in my work life. My work life has sort of come to a, a little bit of a screaming halt um, because, you know, I'm juggling family and, well, podcasting. Your podcast is SoCal uh, Podcast. Right, right. SoCal Fishing Podcast on the Barbless Network. And um, it's actually relatively new. Uh, we're on, uh, I don't know episode 13 or 14 and um and we cover yeah the sort of southern california region some of the eastern sierras and talk about just whatever issues are sort of going on as well as you know angling tips um of course we cover a lot of saltwater fly fishing because my husband conway um that's sort of our our thing is saltwater fly fishing right because i guess i should also note that you are in san diego 
right <laughs> we're in san diego and you know san diego is not exactly known as the hub of fly fishing when you think of fly fishing and even if you do think of san diego fly fishing you're like well where you know where are there trout there's no trout you know creeks or streams or rivers um there's some stocked reservoirs but uh but that's why we end up um, fishing mostly saltwater and a little bit of background, your um, your husband is Conway Bowman, and both of you have, uh, he's a big pioneer in the Mako, Mako shark fly fishing. Yeah, so Conway, um, he grew up here in San Diego, and he um, his father was an English teacher, and in the summer times, they would go off to Idaho and go fly fishing, just he and his dad. Uh, I think his sisters would tag along for maybe part of that but for the majority of it it was just he and his dad off fly fishing um, but of course when they came back to san diego you know that's not idaho fly fishing so at one point he tried to figure out you know well what can i do while i'm here he sort of switched over to saltwater fly fishing but he he was reading about fly fishing and there was a chapter in a book that mentioned fly fishing for sharks and he read that and he said well We've got sharks here, so he bought himself an, an aluminum uh, skiff and and took off into the ocean and uh, wanted to try his hand at uh, trying to catch a mako shark on the fly, and he did it. And um, sort of the rest is history. I want to say that was probably he started guiding for that 25 years ago, 27 years ago, um, and it's it really sort of it's taken off. And of course, he got me into it. I. When we started dating back in 2004, uh, I actually was not an angler at all. I'm uh, more of a surfer. I mean, as a marine biologist, you know, I, I love the water. I love being on the water. I scuba dive. I love being in the water. So being at the ocean was sort of natural for me. And, uh, and when one of our first dates, I think it was, he said to me, so, you know, you want to learn how to fly fish and I was just like oh sure Mr. Adventure Guy is going to take me fly fishing and of course in my brain I'm thinking fly fishing Brad Pitt, river runs through it well, this can be all romantic and cool and you know next thing I know we're two miles offshore and he's putting a chum bucket over the side of the boat and, uh, and tells me so if the Mako shark jumps into the boat you just get on top of the center console and I'll, I'll work on getting it out of the boat that that was my introduction to fly fishing. <laughs> did you end up catching yeah. a fish on that date? I did. That was my very first fish uh, on the fly was an 80-pound mako shark. And I have to say it was just one of the most exciting things I've ever done. I mean, maybe besides skydiving. Uh, mako shark on the fly is just, I mean, even... To this day, when you see a mako shark coming and you see the fin swimming up the chum slick, it just like makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. It's so exciting. And I mean, they're strong and they're dynamic and they're super fast when they when they hit the fly because you're also sight casting. So you, you see them, you know, take the fly and then they take off and they're one of the fastest fish in the ocean. So, you know, they're going 35 miles an hour, potentially up to 60, I guess, in some, some research. Um, and, and then they jump, so they're jumping, I mean, like full acrobatic 
felt like the dolphin jumping 15 feet out of the air, out of the water. Um, and they'll do it a number of times, you know, six, seven times. Um, and it's, and then of course you get it to the boat and it's all, we do all catch and release. Um, but then Conway of course has to take the hook out of its mouth, which is no easy feat, but he's perfected this uh, technique. We use barbless hooks and he has this special release stick. And of course you want the shark to be relatively tired by the time it gets to the side of the boat. And he, uh, he just slides the release stick down the, the wire leader and pops the hook out of the shark's mouth and boop, away it goes. And, and often, you know, the, the sharks, there are some that are so aggressive that they'll actually kind of swim away all kind of pissy and stuff. And, and then they realize, I think, that they're a top predator in the ocean and they, they turn around and they come back like, hey, wait a second, like you're, you're in my area. So it's, it's just very exciting. And I think also as a marine biologist, it's very exciting because I mean, that's, I'm in my element. I'm, I'm with the animals in the water and I, I love to know about them and I love to see them. And, you know, it's very rare that people get to encounter sharks in a, in a positive way like this, catching them, releasing them and seeing how beautiful they are. I think uh, growing up, everyone, when we were in elementary school, wanted to become a marine biologist. And we <laughs> lived in Colorado, never been like, people would be like, what do yes. you want to be when you grow up? Because it just had this idea of being explorer and um, going underwater. Sure, Jacques Cousteau and being a, a dolphin trainer. I, I think, I think probably, I would say 75% of people that I talk to, when I tell them I'm a marine biologist, they say, oh my gosh, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Like so many people tell me that. Is that what you, when you were younger, did you knew you were gonna be a marine biologist? You know, no, I think, I think way back, I, I remember I told people I wanted to be a dentist because I love it when my, my teeth were loose and I love like pulling my teeth out when they were loose, um, which is kind of weird. But, um, and then I, be, I wanted to become a surgeon. So my, my father and my grandfather um, were both um, thoracic surgeons and I just was sort of fascinated by you know, the hospital and I'd, I'd read all these textbooks that my dad had in his office and he had pacemakers on his desk that I would play with. And I mean, you know, so I was kind of a little geek. And, um, and when I got to college, um, so I guess the other side of that, the marine biology side is my mom is from Hawaii. And so we spent a lot of time in the summers in Hawaii. And my aunt had an apartment right on the beach by uh, by Diamond Head on Oahu. And she had this teeny little reef that, I mean, now that I see it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, it's like the size of two parking spaces maybe. And it's kind of half dead. There's not a whole lot on it because so many people have walked across it. But that was like my, my little haven. I would sit there for hours um, just checking out all the little critters that were living on the reef. So, so I had this sort of dual interest and when I got to college, I went to UC San Diego. And I, I came to San Diego because I had an idea that I wanted to be a marine biologist. But of course, UC San Diego also has a fantastic medical school and um, pre-med program. So I, I sort of was hoping that I'd figure it out you know, while I was in college. And so I was taking all these biology classes with all these pre-med students. And that was pretty rigorous, to say the least. Um, and then I decided that uh, I really, as a 
as a physician and a, a surgeon, um, you know, I, I didn't see my dad a whole lot uh, when I was growing up because of his schedule as a surgeon, you know, he was just not around much. And as a marine biologist, of course, I would always be by the ocean and, you know, potentially I could have a family and see them much more often than if I was a doctor. As a doctor, I'd make a lot more money. As a marine biologist, I would <laughs> make almost no money. Um, but I decided at some point I wanted to have a family and I wanted to be there for my kids. So I became a marine biologist and I really have not regretted it at all, not one bit, because I love being by the ocean, I love my work, and of course I have my family. I have two boys who are now Gosh, almost 10 and 5 um, in a couple weeks. And um, yeah, and it's been wonderful. And I've actually worked for a medical device company recently as well. And so I, I kind of have dabbled um, back in the medical world, which was very exciting. Um, but I returned to uh, marine biology and uh, education, um, outreach and education, which is sort of what my specialty is. I mean, I know you're a marine biologist, a surfer, and you guys do the Mako shark on the fly. Does the ocean ever terrify you? For me, it just seems a big body of water. And sometimes you don't know what's below <laughs> you. It terrifies me. Right. Well, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, as a, someone who does um, environmental education, that's one thing that just excites me so much, actually. I mean, the ocean, to me, is just like this vast place where like there's so much that we don't know and so much that I don't know. And the more I know about it and the more I can understand it, the better. Um, I mean, the one thing you learn as somebody who spends time at the ocean, um, in the water, and even, you know, this applies to freshwater, is that you you can never take your eye off the water like mother nature always has the last say so when you think you sort of have have an understanding of like the ocean and waves and everything mother nature will throw something at you and and prove that really she's in control so there are days when you know you're out surfing and it's big and you're just like oh yeah i got this i'm just on fire and you know all of a sudden out of nowhere this rogue wave comes and just takes you out and it gets your heart going and it's exciting and it kind of it's very humbling and it reminds you that you know you might be on fire but mother nature still is in control here and when she wants to take you out she will <laughs> do you ever have, do you have a memory of mother nature's fury being on the boat while fishing well okay so so not so much on the boat, but one of the things that I I sort of specialize in um, sort of in my world of fishing um, is that I, I fly fish from my, my stand-up paddleboard. And um, I do that just right offshore. I can paddle out to, there's kelp beds that are, gosh, not even a quarter mile, maybe a quarter mile out. And I paddle out there and, um, and I'll fly fish out there. And there was one time that I... I went out and I was by myself, which usually I, I try not to be by myself just for you know safety reasons. But um, I was pretty far out past the kelp bed because I was kind of looking for a big fish. And all of a sudden this sea lion like pops up. And I've seen you know seals and sea lions before. It was no big deal. And usually they kind of stay their distance, a fair distance away and 
kind of check me out and then they swim away. Well, this particular sea lion kept like circling around my board and it got closer and closer to the point where it was actually like poking at my board and almost seemed like it was going to jump on my board, which I mean, my board is big enough for me, but you throw another whatever 150 pound sea lion on it and you know we're both going over and at first I was kind of like oh this is you know a little playful sea lion and he's playing with me and then you know as a marine biologist I'm like well what if he's trying to get out of the water because there's something chasing him that's even bigger which of course would be like a great white shark so that that made me a little nervous, and I, I of course, had to get him. Um, I kind of was poking him with my paddle so that he would go away. And uh, pretty much right after that, I, I paddled in because I was like, eh, it just makes me a little nervous. Because even though most of the time my feet are um, uh, on the board, there are times when my feet are hanging over um, just because they are, or because if I'm fighting a fish, sometimes I'll sit down and use my feet as sort of as leverage to like, kind of like a little trolling motor to like turn me around or, you know, get me out of kelp or something. And, um, you know, if there was something big with sharp teeth that was swimming around looking for a meal, and I, I definitely didn't want to be on the receiving end of that. So, so that definitely, <laughs> sharks, you know, are kind of always on our mind in our house because that's just what we do. But, you know, makos are, they don't attack people, but, you know, there are great, there are plenty of great whites um, around. And of course, if there's a seal, a sea lion, that's you know, one of their favorite uh, meals for an adult great white is sea lion. So I just have I this like image of Jaws, right? Isn't that the, the perfect <laughs> where yeah. it's always that shot where someone's on their surfboard and you can see yeah. your point of views from the ocean and they're like coming up. So my heart yep. was um, just that image of seeing that. I'm like, my heart is already beating very, very yeah. fast. Well, that was sort of my image as well, <laughs> which is why I was like, eh, I think it's time to go in. I feel that you being a marine biologist, you must have um, a great skill when it comes to fishing because you know about the environment, you know. About... <laughs> Is that true? Well, I, I have a lot of interest and I have a lot of knowledge, but that doesn't mean that the fish want to bite. I mean, it's you, you still have to catch the fish. I mean, I guess in terms of knowing, being aware of sort of tidal cycles and how animals react um, to you know dif different environmental circumstances you know whether it's waves and currents and tides and moon phases that kind of thing I, th I think that definitely helps um, but still there are people who are not marine biologists who have much better fishing mojo than I do I mean I it maybe is even more frustrating because I know you know where the fish technically should be and what they should be eating like why aren't they why aren't they doing this i'm doing everything right so it kind of i guess could work in my favor but also frustrate the heck out of me because there are some people like i said who are just super fishy i have one friend who is not a marine biologist at all and i mean he can go out and, and catch fish just like hand over foot it's unbelievable and he he will go out with like this tiny little rod just to kind of catch bait and boom he catches like a 20 pound yellowtail and you're just like what like how did that happen like he's not even trying and here I'm trying so hard um 
And he just kind of laughs. He's like, oh, I don't know. It's just the way it is. But, uh, so yeah. So, but it, but I think for me as a marine biologist, it makes it that much more interesting because I'm always kind of trying to figure it out. Like it's, it's almost like a treasure hunt. You're trying to figure out the story and trying to figure out where the fish might be. Why are they, why are they here as opposed to over here? Why are they here one day and the next day? I'm in the exact same spot doing the exact same thing, but I'm not catching them, whereas the day before I was, which, you know, every fisherman, that's like their their big question. It's like, why? They, they were here yesterday, but now they're gone. Where are they? Um, so that, that makes it, I guess, kind of an adventure for me, because not only do I ask the questions, but I kind of know how to figure out the answer. Do you have a great fishing story where you caught the fish of your dreams or shark, for that matter? Um, well, well, I mean, of course, the first fish, the, the first mako shark I caught, that was that was a dream. I mean, it wasn't even a dream come true because I, I don't think I'd ever even dreamt of catching a mako shark on a fly rod. I mean, you couldn't even have suggested that to me 30 years ago, that that would be something that I would do. But that was awesome. But probably the most memorable fish that I've caught um, was when I was board fishing and I often would uh, go out before work with some of my buddies and um, and fish and it was probably like six o'clock in the morning and we were down um, off La Jolla which is an area that is got tons of kelp and just it's very prolific in terms of fishing um, and we had gone out the day before, and I had hooked up on something um, that that got away, basically. And I was just like, oh, man, my line had broken. And so I came home from work that night, and I was just like, you know, i got to put you know, some heavier. I put 60-pound on. And actually, this was on conventional gear. I always bring out both fly gear and conventional on my board because if there's some you know, fish breaking on the surface, then I'm going to use my, my fly gear. But if there's kind of nothing going on, then I'll bring my conventional gear so that I can drop it down, you know, 50 or 60 or 100 feet, whatever. So this next day, I brought my gear out, and uh, and we had paddled out in the dark, and we had caught some bait, and so I, I had hooked my my little mackerel on to my conventional gear, and I set that up on my on my board. And I was getting my uh, my fly fishing gear ready. I stripped out a whole bunch of line and everything, and I was getting ready to cast because there was more bait and stuff kind of plucking along the surface. And all of a sudden, I hear my my conventional rod click, 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 and it starts to go. And I was just like, "Oh my gosh! Okay, I, I'm onto something." And I I reel up my my line and my fly rod, and I put that away, and uh, and I grab my my conventional rod and I set the hook and I was just like oh my gosh what in the world is this and this thing took off and it was actually it was hilarious because my buddies were just like where are you going because the fish was just pretty much taking me like out to sea and I was just like I don't know where I'm going I'm going wherever this fish is taking me because you know when you're on basically a big surfboard a stand-up paddleboard really don't have much resistance against a pretty good sized fish not like in a boat you know the fish has to drag the boat around but on a board you're going wherever it wants so the fish is taken off and we're headed towards the horizon 
and I told my buddies, I was like, hey, can you guys kind of keep an eye on me? And if you, you know, start to lose sight of me or, you know, if I get too far away, could you maybe get one of these boaters to, to follow me? And there's like a small wake behind my, my board as I'm just cruising around and I'm trying to fight this fish and turn its head. And, uh, and then it kind of slacked up a little bit and I was like, oh, okay, so I'm reeling. And then the fish turned around and headed back into shore or towards shore, but it had to basically hit the kelp bed first, which is what it was probably going for. And I knew that that's what it was going for because when a fish is hanging out in the kelp bed, that's its protection. So I knew that if this fish got into the kelp bed, then I was gonna lose it because it would tangle up my line and it would be done. So I just was reeling with all of my might and just praying that I could get it to the surface before um, it got to the kelp bed. And it would probably took me 15 or 20 minutes and I, I reeled this thing up and my buddy paddled over to me and he had his gaff on his board and he got it to the surface and gaffed it and it was a 40 pound white sea bass, which was definitely the biggest thing that I had ever caught on my board. Um, and I just, I was dumbfounded. <laughs> Quite honestly, I couldn't believe um, that I had just caught it. It was, it was so awesome, and you know the kayakers were paddling up, and all my couple buddies who I was board fishing with, they paddled up, and we're all hooting and hollering and taking pictures, and um, and then I, I was kind of like, okay, I've got this thing, so now what do I do with it? Because I. I'm on my way to work, so because I would fish, basically stop off and fish before work and then head from the beach to work because it's on my way. And I was like, like if I go home with this fish, I'm going to be super late for work. So I had my, my phone with me, um, and so I took it out, and I called a buddy of mine who, you know, was like at 6.45 in the morning, like, what do you want? And I was like, hey, um... I knew he was an angler. He's an avid angler. I was like, can you bring your biggest cooler down to the beach right now for me? Because I've got this big white sea bass and I, I need to take it to work. <laughs> and he's just like, sure. So, you know, 15 minutes later, I'm paddling in and landed on the beach and he shows up with this big cooler. And it was one of the, you know, the pretty good size igloo fishing coolers, like um, offshore fishing coolers. And the fish wouldn't even fit in there its tail was sticking out but that's all I had so I threw the fish in there and um, headed to 7-eleven and got a whole bunch of bags of ice and threw the ice on there and then dragged the, the cooler and the fish to my office <laughs> which you know luckily as a marine biologist everyone thought it was actually really cool I and mean, I'm sure if I was a corporate lawyer or something uh, it might have not been so cool to drag a, a cooler with a fish tail sticking out of it into your office but a marine biologist everybody thought it was pretty awesome um but yeah that was awesome i just sat there all day working and looking at this cooler sitting in my office with this huge fishtail sticking out of it did you guys end up eating it oh yeah yeah so normally um i do catch and release probably on 99 percent of the things that i've caught and um, but this was a very special fish so a buddy of mine actually came and filleted it he's a really good uh fisherman, angler, and um, so he filleted it up for me and we had a big old barbecue and made some ceviche and it was awesome. I love, uh, I'm, we're very much a catch and release family too, but when we do decide to keep a fish, 
There is something pretty cool about going home after a day of fishing and eating fresh fish. Do you guys have a, on your list, is there a particular place you guys are looking at as a family to go fishing? Yeah, we actually would really like to go down to, um, to Mexico, down to uh, Tipa Baja. There's a place we go to, Rancho Leonero, that's super family friendly. And um, they not only have some great uh, surf fishing available, but they have pongas that you can take out and go catch mahi-mahi and rooster fish. And um, it's, uh, it's some place that would be easy to take the kids and, you know, they would have a, a great time, I think. And they have board fishing, too, so they have boards down there, I think, that you can uh, take out and board fish. Um, and then, you know, if there happens to be swell, there we might have a surfboard that we bring with us because <laughs> there's also great um, surf spots right around there. So it's kind of like our, our little perfect spot. We used to go there, of course, before we had kids, and we haven't been down there since we had kids, which I, I'm not sure why. I mean, I think it's just because we've been too busy, but really that's kind of a lame excuse because, you know, you got to take the kids and, and go do stuff like that. Well, that seems to be the job of every outdoor mom is trying to get everyone to enjoy the outdoors and you are doing a rock star job on that. Well, thank you so much for sitting with me today, Michelle, and sharing your stories. And I know on our bucket list is to come to San Diego and uh, try the Mako shark on the fly. That would be awesome. Yeah, and we live close to the beach, of course, so, you know, taking your little ones to the beach and um, Legoland is right nearby would be awesome. And I look forward to chatting with you soon and seeing you hopefully in the near future. Pleasure is mine. Thank you very much. Mako flies are out of our wheelhouse, but if you find yourself on the Pacific, check out how to tie a striped bass fly on our blog at cdfishing.us.